if we haven't met, my name is Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And John Murray asked me, uh, I know this looks a, a bit unusual for me to wear a tie up here before you. He asked me if I had an interview after this today. No, no, I hope you all keep me. No, I have I'm, no, no interview. We've, we've mixed it up this, this Sunday. So that's why when you put the robe on, you gotta, gotta wear the tie underneath. So I didn't even wear a tie to uh, our reception dinner, I don't think. Or rehearsal dinner. Had, had, a, had a tie at the reception, of course. But the rehearsal dinner, I don't even think I wore a tie. And when I, uh, when I asked, when I was planning to ask Lindsay Kay to marry me, I, of course, had to ask mom and dad first. So I went to Don and Kay, my now father and mother-in-law, and, and asked, and they said under one stipulation, you know, you got to wait till she graduates college. So it wasn't a great sacrifice. I had planned for that already. And uh, I don't know if, if everybody was in agreement or whatnot. We got a lot of responses like, congratulations, we're so happy for you. And if anybody didn't feel that way, they kept it to themselves. We didn't hear, we didn't hear anything to the contrary. But I I know many of us, when family and friends have, have announcements of engagement, um, depending on the company that we're in, maybe like, that's not going to work. Like, the future is going to be destroyed. And we may not say that out loud, but in, internally we're like, this is a horrible mistake. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning, verse 22 to 30. And in John chapter 3, verse 22 to 30, John the Baptist brings up this imagery that's like a wedding. And it may be a bit strange for us to think of Jesus' life and ministry in terms of a wedding. We don't often think of it this way. But John the Baptist brings this up for his disciples to teach his disciples something. And to reset where we are, we are following the empty tomb of Easter with the sermon series called Greater, which is based on this passage. John chapter 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So this is the inspiration for the series that we're in. And in light of the empty tomb, as Easter people, we're called to do greater things than Jesus did. And our marriages exemplify that. And whether you have been married, are married, never been married, it doesn't matter. Marriage is, is a gift God has given us, a gift God has given the church to show how committed he is in his love for us. And so regardless of where we're at in our relationships, marriage is this powerful and strong example of sacrifice, which is our focus today. So we talked about a greater life and then greater influence. And today we're gonna focus on greater sacrifice and what that might mean and look like. And so we're gonna look now at John chapter three, verse 22 to 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, 
He's baptizing and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So we're maybe not accustomed to this imagery in this example thinking about Jesus's life, but it isn't unusual throughout scripture. So in the Old Testament, we hear often how Israel's referred to God's bride and she's often unfaithful. And then in the New Testament, we understand that the church now being grafted into the promises of God, the church is the bride of Christ. And Paul will say in Ephesians chapter five, how husbands should love their wives just as, just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So here in John chapter three, the announcement's already been made. The wedding's coming. The announcement has been made. Jesus has proclaimed the good news and the announcement to this wedding, you may be like, Shay, Jesus doesn't get married. Where are you going with this? Like he's, he doesn't get married. And this, this wedding, what we'll, what we'll say symbolizes a wedding for us, we'll say a little bit later that happens at the end of the gospel. All of that has taken place. The announcement is out. And there's, there's not everybody that's on board. Two of John's disciples leave John to follow Jesus, but most of John's disciples don't. And there's a rivalry that develops here. It's almost as if John's disciples don't believe it's time yet for him to step aside. John needs to step up and be more. John's still young and has a lot left to give. And there's this loyalty to John that the disciples don't understand. They don't understand the time that's taking place. There's a belief in the present that the ministry and the mission of John has to keep going. And these feelings bring to bear what an announcement of a wedding sometimes causes. The announcement of a wedding means time is changing. And now there's a lot of planning and a lot of preparation and there's a lot of anxiety and tension that is created in this change. And it's disorienting because there's so many things to do in the planning and the preparation for this thing that's about to happen. I mean, where are you gonna get married? And how many people are gonna be in the wedding? You gotta have an even number for pictures because it looks off if you got eight and four three uh, for bridesmaids and groomsmen. You gotta figure out the timelines of everything and the gifts that have to be purchased and, and wedding party gifts. You got people coming a long way to be at the wedding. What are you gonna get everybody? And where's everybody gonna sit? Not only who's invited, but where are you gonna place them? Because you can't put mamma next to Aunt Josie because they're gonna talk so loud that it doesn't matter how loud the DJ is. And through the speeches, you gotta be strategic in all of this. There's so much that has to happen. And not to mention, not everybody that's coming is a fan of the wedding. And that some of the wedding party has history. They haven't worked it out yet because they haven't seen each other since the last wedding. You know? And so people are not all in alignment 
with the wedding. And like many of our weddings, not everybody here is in alignment. John's disciples are saying, surely there's more time. But, but John, they're, they're looking at John and they're saying, why is his line longer than yours? All the people are going to him, but you're John the Baptist. This is what you do. You baptize people. And we chose this spot because they can really get baptized here. We have all the water here. There's plenty of water here. So we can really wash them. We can really dunk them. They, they don't have as much water as we have. They're all going to him. And they don't yet get, they don't get, get the time change. They don't get that it's not about the amount of water. It's about the anointing. They don't quite get the time change. It's about the anointing that, that Jesus has been anointed to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a time change happening that they don't get. It doesn't matter how much water. It's about the anointing. And John says from day one, you know, I'm not the guy. He's the guy. <laughs> My purpose is fulfilled and I didn't really plan on it. I didn't really expect it, but I got to hear his voice. Like what, what I've spent my whole life doing, what I've prepared my whole life for, I got to hear his voice. So I'm good, y'all. I'm all right. And it's time now. There's a lot of planning left to do. There's a lot of preparation and it's time. He must become greater. I must become less. It's a supporting role that John is to play. And he's not going to make the wedding, though the wedding couldn't have happened without him. And we think about John the Baptist and how it could have been differently if we think a little divergently about if, if John held on See, he was such a good communicator. He had a great influence. John is the kind of leader who could have kept Jesus from ascending into the popularity of the crowds and the people. He could have been another figure, another rival that, that could have kept Jesus from being noticed by the authority figures in Judaism and in, in Rome. He could have done that, but if it wasn't for the faithfulness and the obedience of John the Baptist, I wonder if a quarter of the world's population today would, would call Jesus Lord and Savior. Jesus says, John, no one born of a woman is greater than John. And yet, the least in the kingdom of God are greater than him. So John's greatness, what made John so great, as great as his preaching was, as strong and bold of a leader as he was, and he had so many attributes that, that were part of him fulfilling his mission. But it isn't all that. It isn't his unwavering spirit. It's, it's his willingness and obedience to fulfill his purpose and then step aside. It's his willingness to step back and become less. He's great because he knows his life is given by God to point everyone to the true king of all people, that is Jesus. And a greater sacrifice means becoming less. Becoming less so God's glory can shine through our lives. Becoming less so that other people can find their purpose. 
that God has given them and shine in that to become less so that the name of Jesus becomes higher and higher and more of a banner that identifies and exemplifies who we are and what we are about. And when we think about wedding plans and preparations and all those people in the planning and the preparations that sacrifice so much for us, who sacrifice themselves to support us, who lay themselves down to lift others up. I can think of no better example that aligns with the sacrifice of Jesus than mothers. And we see it in Mary. Mary's not just on the sidelines. Mary knows from the get-go when she says, yes, Lord, to be the mother of God. When she says yes, she doesn't sit on the sidelines. She knows the unspeakable sacrifice that must come. And yet she doesn't sit back. She's planning and preparing. And even before Jesus takes that first step, even before Jesus thinks it's time to take that first step and start walking down that road, that Via Dolorosa, she's the one that says, y'all are gonna listen. Y'all are gonna listen to what he tells you to do if she was a Texan. That's what she would say. And it was at another wedding that she said that, the wedding at Cana before Jesus turns water into wine when Jesus wasn't really ready yet. Jesus says, you listen to what my son tells you to do. And we see Mary and Elizabeth both bring sons into the world that will be taken away so young. What a sacrifice. All the Pew Research data out there still says that women are more likely to lay their careers aside or sacrifice time at work for family. And I'm not here to make claims and value judgments about women in the workplace. I'm here to tell you that the greatest example of sacrifice in my life that I've witnessed is my mother's. That she sacrificed a career in photojournalism. She became less so that Sean and I, my brother and I, could have a direct and immediate influence every single day of someone who loves God more than anybody else. Someone who lives to serve. Someone who has the patience and the humility and the grace of Mary, the mother of God. Someone who knows right from wrong. And to Lindsay Kay and my mother-in-law, Mary Kay White, and to all the mothers and to everyone here who's been like a mother, for your great sacrifice, for doing all the work and never getting any of the credit, for, for loving us and supporting us through the mistake you knew we were making, for loving us through all the failure, for always showing up, for showing up countless, countless times and becoming less so that we had room, so your son or daughter had room to grow and be the person God made them to be. Thank you. Thank you. Because too often we want to be the show. We want to be the bride and the groom. We want to be the focus. We want to be on top of the org chart. We want to do more. We want to be more. We want to rise higher and higher and we want to feed our pride and feel important. And, 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 and the more and more I feed my pride, the less room there is for humility, the less room there is for, for me to focus on the Holy Spirit. And we've got to stop feeding our pride because pride's appetite continues to grow the more we feed it. In a way in which we can tell if we've been feeding too much pride, because sometimes pride's sneaky and we don't know, we, we feel like we're doing all right. But the 
I'm convinced that there's a couple phrases and a couple responses in our life that are clear signs of us feeding our pride and that's, no, I don't wanna do that. No, I don't feel like doing that. No, I don't wanna do that. No, I don't feel like doing that. So sometimes becoming less means saying yes and, and actually listening and actually helping and, and, and not doing what I wanna do or what I feel like doing because Christ can't lead me if I'm constantly feeding my pride and you can't be a good husband, a good wife. I can't be a good pastor if I'm feeding my pride. I can't be a good pastor if I'm just saying, no, I don't wanna do that. No, I don't, I don't feel like, no, I don't feel like, I don't feel like doing that. And the lie in all of that is we're clutching on time as if it's our possession. If it's uh, for ours, it's ours for us to own. And of course it isn't, it's a gift. And if we think we can control time or we, we know best on our terms, we know how to live our lives and how to set the right priorities, then we are destined to be wretched creatures. If we cannot stop killing our pride and stop feeding our pride. So we have to learn to become less. And how do we do that? What does that look like? And I think we can talk about becoming less in the negative, in, in doing less, and we can talk about it in the positive, in being and doing something positive. And so in the negative, we can say we are becoming less, less resistant to change, less reluctant to be courageous, less likely to think of ourselves first, less prone to place our priorities ahead of God's, less desire for the lesser things that shift our focus from Christ, or we can talk about being less and becoming less in the positive. We can be generous. We can be generous with our praise. We can be quick to encourage. We can run fast to listen and hustle to help others. We can pray, thy will be done, not my will be done. And we can say more and more and more about what it means to become less. And the point is not listing all the things that we could say, but becoming less isn't doing nothing. Becoming less isn't being lazy. Becoming less is coming alive. Becoming less allows the reign of God to shine and be evident to the world around us. And John, John has to step aside. John has to step aside for Jesus to become more. And John fulfills a great part in the wedding, leading up to the wedding. And we see all the people throughout the planning and preparations who fill smaller roles. And whether it's a great part that you've been given or a small part that you've been given, <laughs> Whether you've been called to influence and impact many or a few, it's no less significant to God as we are called to be stewards of what God gives us. C.S. Lewis once said, play great parts without pride. Play great parts without pride and small parts without shame because both are just as important to the kingdom of God. John had a great part to play. And it doesn't appear like he, he makes it to the end, to the wedding, but maybe he does because of the way he's faithful to the end, the way he dies and steps aside. Because what is the wedding that we're leading up to? It is the cross. 
The procession is the Via Della Rosa. It is the way of suffering. It is at the same time a wedding and the same time a funeral as, as Christ sacrifices his life and defeats death by his death so that we can be united in an everlasting covenant with God. That is the wedding and the pronouncement of that wedding of, of what will be the church and Jesus is, is part of Jesus' last words. It is finished. It is finished. And some of you might hear all this and it's like, you know, this just isn't worth it. This is all too much. Coming alive by becoming less, greater suffering, giving up things that get in the way of God's will, losing the headphones that we put on so, so that we can hear God's voice in our noisy world. Like all this is too much and it isn't worth it. And some of us have come by this honestly. We've been intentional and we've tried at something. We've worked really, really hard and we've been focused and it just hadn't panned out. It just, it, it hadn't turned to gold yet. We were trying and we're not getting the results that we had hoped for. And we keep trying and, it's, and too much time has passed and, and we've had enough time. So it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And if Pastor Tina were here, Pastor Tina, we're gonna celebrate her ordination next month. And she could attest to this, that since John Wesley, the ordination process in our big church just gets longer and longer and longer. And there are more meetings and there are more retreats and there are more committees. And uh, full-time ministry and responsibility doesn't go away because you have a residency retreat in Temple, Texas. And it just takes so much time. And many of us have worked so hard towards something that hasn't panned out out and it just doesn't seem worth it anymore. It doesn't seem worth it. And if we're asking that question, is it all worth it? I don't think that's the right question to ask if we get to a place and if we think it's not worth it because it hasn't turned out like we'd hoped, if we think it isn't worth it because our life isn't any easier, if we think it isn't worth it because it hasn't led to less suffering, if we think it isn't worth it because mom died along the way as I was working towards this thing and now I can't tell my left from my right and I'm overwhelmed in grief and it just isn't worth it anymore, then it's never gonna be worth it. Then it's never gonna be worth it because we're not promised. We're not promised a perfect life. We're not promised that that thing's gonna improve and get better. We pray that it does and we try hard. The question, is it worth it, isn't the right question. The question of our lives that I think we have to answer with our lives is, is he worthy? Knowing who he made you to be, knowing who he is, is he worthy? Is he worthy of all the pain and the suffering in this life? Is he worthy of all the broken plans and the failed attempts? Is he worthy of all the questions and the things gone wrong and the dark nights of the soul? Is he worthy of all honor? Is he worthy of all glory? Is he worthy of all praise? Is the God who gave you life worthy of the name everlasting father and prince of peace and wonderful counselor and lion of Judah and rose of Sharon 
and my ever-present help in time of need, is he worthy? Because if he's worthy, then it's all worth it. The joy and the pain, the sun and the rain, the laughter and the tears, it's all worth it because he's with us, leading us home. Is he worthy? Because by his wounds, we are healed. And there will come a day when the bandages that we carry in this life that cover our bodies through all the suffering, there will come a day where our bandages weave into a wedding gown. And our life will be a, a celebration ceremony. And we stand on the promise that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So what answer does your life give to the question, is he worthy? Because as for me and my house, he is worthy. Because we've seen the fight from the victory. He is worthy. Will you pray with me? Holy God, for all that you are, for your presence in our lives, we so often strive and get distracted for things that are not focused on you. We feed our pride we want to feel important and God forgive us. Forgive us for needing to be more than we already are. As your sons and daughters, heirs of your promise, gifted, called and chosen. Lord, Lord, for the way we strive to be more than that, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for going off course. God, you are worthy. You are worthy of all the sacrifices. You're worthy of everything we experience in this life. We thank you that you have loved us beyond measure, beyond comprehension. That having the power and authority that you have, that you, you never lorded over us and you came as a servant, you came as a slave for us. And so God, help us serve others. Help us become less so that your glory shines, so that your reign becomes famous, so that more and more people can see it and experience it, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.